Pit Guys. This week's episode is brought to you by Epoxic Enterprises. Yep. We're we're back. Uh-huh. Is this thing on? Hello, hello. It is, <laughs> yes. I uh I was trying to think of a good opening and uh I'd remembered that I introduced Parker, my son, to the greatest cartoon ever this week. Oh. King of the Hill. Oh, that's a pretty good one. That's cl- some classic right there. A little bit of Dale Gribble, a little bit of the Boomhauer. Mm-hmm. They inspired me for that opening. That's that's pretty good. I, although I have to say, I'm more of a Simpsons slash Futurama fan. Eh, nope. King of the Hill. That's where it's at. You know where it is not at, and I do not understand how people are into it at all or even watch it because it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen and I can't even handle it, is Rick and Morty. Yeah, I, that's a weird one, too. I can't, I can't do it. And people are like, oh, dude, you got to check it out. It's so cool. Like, these, it's so, like, this such a witty one-liner. And I'm just sitting there like, uh, uh, what am I watching? What What's, is, I don't, this is our opening. We're talking about adult cartoons. <laughs> well, so. Thanks for joining us, everybody, this week. We got a great show. That's how we should start it every week. Well, in our defense, this weather has been really playing with our emotions, so I started out like a week or two ago freaking rolling my Gromulix everywhere. Like me and my Grom, we're just a team. I'm smiles for miles. It's great. And now it's winter again. What the heck? Well, it's not winter again. It's just third winter. Yeah, something like that. So because of that, my projects outside have been cut down and... I wasn't motivated to do anything in the shop, so I was watching some Simpsons with the kids. And yep, that's so. what that's what I was doing too, watching mm-hmm. a little Boom Hour. But I'll have to say, I just want to let everybody know I am kind of in love with Honda Motorsports right now because I just I keep I drive that Grom and I think about that Grom and man, I I have a lot of fun on it and I keep thinking about possible things I could do. Zach, you made fun of me for one idea. I was like, hey, Zach, I'm going to do a CBR300 engine swap to my Grom. And you're like, well, why don't you just buy a CBR300 and drive it around? And I'm like, because of swap? So a little insight to the motorcycle world here. Because you're a newbie, I'll cut you a little slack. Small motorcycles aren't cool, okay? Now, Groms and mo- monkeys are, are cool because they're so small. They're, like, ridiculously small, right? When a guy like us is on a Grom, it looks funny. When a guy like us is on a CBR 300 or a Rebel 250, it's not cool, man, because it's like... I want a motorcycle, but I don't know how to handle a real motorcycle. AKA, I want a motorcycle, but I can't get my short, non-flexible leg up over the top of a real motorcycle. Well, you did sit on my Harley this weekend. Yeah, did you see what it took to get my leg up it and over that stupid thing? It was pretty entertaining to watch you just sit on it. <laughs> That's an extreme. I think there's that a good... That bike was huge. I think there's a good, in-the-middle uh, bike for you out there... That isn't a CBR 300, man. Fine, a Hayabusa. Well, that sounds like certain death. <laughs> well, you know me, I, I had my first experience with like yeah. near-death experiences. We have to talk about this. So we got People this... have seen this on the internet. <laughs> yes. I, I thought, you know, I'm like, hey, 
I like doing burnouts, but I don't usually get a chance to do burnouts because A, my junk doesn't have horsepower, and B, tires are expensive. So here I got this, you know, wrecked Grom that we're ready to do all this work to. And wrecked as in the whole front smashed a wall, and so it bent the chassis or the frame and the, the front neck. the front tire is shoved into the uh, motor. Yeah. So the front tire doesn't spin. Yeah. So it's like got a permanent break on the front tire. So I'm like, well, let's do some burnouts. It's going to be super sick. And, and I condoned. I thought this was a great idea. And Zach actually had the foresight. He's like, hey, let's point the rear tire away from the truck so when it explodes, it doesn't shrapnel the truck. Well, we didn't go that extra further step and think about what if it launches itself. So yeah, the trucks were protected from tire shrapnel, just not launched bikes. And me, being a brand new motorcycle enthusiast really have no clue what i'm doing i'm like oh let's go do a burnout and instead i basically launched the grom straight towards jeff's dirty max and missed crumpling his rear door by about an inch it was pretty awesome you landed flat on your ass and for whatever like, reason flat on your ass i didn't feel it i can't i hurt the next day after watching it maybe <sighs> just from laughing so hard Maybe that's why I hurt. Uh, it was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Uh, it was on my street, and my neighbors definitely contacted me after you left, and I thought, man, they're going to be pissed. We were making a bunch of ruckus. Uh, they probably didn't like that. We, mel we melted a spot of asphalt on my street. I was a little concerned about And instead... All the neighbors that I talked to thought it was the most funny thing they'd ever seen in their <laughs> lives. Uh, and none of them even cared if you were okay. And you know why that is? Because motorcycles are life. Yeah. I wouldn't go there, okay? Let's say burnouts are life. But in the meantime, I just, I'm falling in love with bikes, little bikes. I feel like I'm going to move up to big guy bikes, but... I'm a Honda guy through and through. Like, I don't know if I could ever have a Harley. One of the guys at work has an Indian. I'm a Honda guy. Who has an Indian that you are? John. John has an Indian. Man, I like every time I hear about John, I like him a little bit more. Yeah, but he drives it around in a stupid enclosed trailer. Like, he goes to Sturgis. He puts it in his trailer. Well, sometimes that happens. Trailers it to Sturgis. <clears throat> so, I will say this. I got my first Honda in probably 2006. It was a 1969 CB350. That's a Honda Scrambler. It has a high pipe. It's a really unique bike. Cool story to how I got the bike. We don't need to go there. Anyway, that was my first Honda, and I've been hooked on them ever since. I, for 18 years, said I would never, ever have a Harley. And then I rode on a couple and was like, yeah, I, I got to have one of these. So I feel like if I ever got a big bike, like a street-type cruiser, old man-style bike, it would have to be a Honda Valkyrie, the first-gen Honda Valkyrie, because I was in love with those when I was a little kid, and I still like the way they look. Gold wings aren't bad. Like, I like those 80s gold wings. They just got this gaudy, like, RoboCop look to them. Well, with your suspenders, you would fit a <laughs> perfect gold wing rider. Now, if you wore that mustache that we saw you uh, show off this week, then then I don't know what we'd put you on. You could pretty much ride whatever bike you wanted with a mustache like that. Oh, my gosh. I got it. I talked to my doctor. I'm like, hey, 
like if I take testosterone shots, will that make me grow a glorious walrus style mustache? And he looked at me and was like, we're not talking about this. I'm like, what the heck? Aren't you here to help me? He didn't think <clears throat> it was funny. And I was being serious. You need a mustache. I man. know. So I think I'm going to try and grow out a tiny little Fu Manchu. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so thin and scraggly. It's going to be super creepy. My mustache, I, I've had a beard all, all the Your time. Your mustache looks beautiful. I've had a mustache for almost a month now. It looks uh, I feel like people have stopped laughing at me, and now people take me more seriously. Uh, for the record, I do not take you any more seriously than before, and I will never stop laughing at you. So well, there's that's, that. that's to be expected. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Speaking of Honda, I mean, we got to give a shout-out to our Honda guy, old Robert Taylor. Oh, it, yes. It was his birthday this week. How, I miss that. How old do you think that Robert is? Um, 37. That's my guess. I'm going to say 40 because he seems somewhat responsible and mature. And, well, no, because you're 40 and you are not responsible or mature. I, so I don't know I where am, I'm going with this. I am both of those things. Neither. But uh, yeah, man, happy birthday, Robert. Happy birthday, Robert. You always hit me up. I know you listen to the show, man. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Robert Taylor, Berserk, Off-Road, man, this dude, this was one of the, probably the first cars I helped pit for. Um, Robert, oh man, I'm trying to remember, I think I met him at, at a little rally in Wyoming with the Hypoxic guys. And, uh, yeah, man, you, you'll never find anybody that works harder at the race than Robert. He loves working on that stuff. I don't ever really hear him complain. Well, he also is pretty hardcore when it comes to camping. Like, he sleeps in a tent sometimes. Dude, do you remember what happened to him at Montana oh last gosh, year? Oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that. The Dust Bowl, <laughs> like 30s era caliber Dust Bowl in Montana, and his poor family oh my and gosh. him, they sat there and they held the tent down, they barricaded their stuff. I totally forgot about <clears throat> that. The guy, I've never seen... Somebody that was so dirty in my life just because he was exposed to that dust. And so we're in campers and trailers enclosed and we're miserable because we're covered in dust. And then I look out and I see Robert and I'm like, oh my gosh. His poor wife is probably the best race wife there is uh, just based off of putting up with that one event. I mean, that yeah. was nuts. Yeah, and he's always got his sons at the races. His daughter was at that race. His sons are a hoot to have at the races. Yep. So Robert, I just if, if you're listening to this, you know, at first I'm like, what is this guy's like infatuation with Honda? Like whatever. Now I totally get you. I like I'm like I said before, I'm in love with Honda. This Grom has changed me. I'm a changed man. Maybe you should ride in the Talon next time we're at the races with him. Uh. <laughs> You would fit his coach. True, his co-driver Adam is like a giant. Yeah, sorry, Adam, but since we're actually, not making fun of Robert tonight, we should make fun of Adam. Actually, Robert, I'm gonna take you up on that because, like I said, I'm I'm really loving Honda. Like I'm thinking about my Grom, and I'm thinking about like a CBR 300, and I'm thinking about all these other cool Hondas they have out there. And I grew up on a uh, Honda Honda little 350 CC. ATV, rear-wheel drive type of thing. And it was 
I think it was a Honda Rancher. Yeah, that's a four-wheeler that they make. Yeah, like you had to shift it like before the automatic transmissions. And so I, it was, and then we also had a Kawasaki Bay Bayou. It yep. was a 350. And that thing was always broken, but that Honda just kept going, and we beat the heck out of them. Could running. you be convinced to buy a Honda Talon for your wife? Because you won't buy her a Razor, heaven forbid. Well, here's the thing. One of my main complaints about the both the Can-Am and the Polaris is they have a CVT. I don't like belt drives. Well, the Honda doesn't have that. And that's the thing with the Honda Talon is they've got a actual gearbox. So, maybe. I could possibly hmm. be convinced. So, Robert, I owe it I owe it to you. All those times that I've doubted you for having a Honda, I, I apologize for that because I'm right there with you, brother. I'm right there with you. Zach's just looking at me like, what? No, man, I think it's cool. I dig the idea of the talent. I totally do. I mean, I just really love my Razor. No, Zach. Zach doesn't want me to buy <coughs> another Honda. Zach wants me to get like a real motorcycle, in his opinion, and I really would like like a CBR three hundred or something like that. I actually just totally forgot what I was going to talk about next, man. To be honest, I should have wrote it down on my notepad, like I always do. Then it's not organic, and it doesn't come from the heart. It's true. Oh, it'll come back to me. Oh, well, I know what I was going to say. I was going to say that it has something to do with Montana. Nope. Oh. This is even better. Oh, that's a good too. We got to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, what a fun-filled evening. <laughs> Last week we had JT Taylor on our show. Mm, what a great one it was. I can honestly say statistically after 7 days, the number one episode we've ever had. More hits than any other episode we've ever had, which more is hits in, than the episode we had with Jeff, our co-driver? About 10 times more <laughs> hits than we had with Jeff, who is still on the bottom by the way. Uh, so then last night I'm scrolling through the interwebs and I see our boys over there at the other podcast. I don't know if we should even mention their names. You know who I'm talking about? I sure do know who you're talking about. Those, Remember, they're the ones I wanted to fight and you're like, come, come on, Hopper, we don't fight. I'm like, fight, well, fight. They, they gave us a shout out, so I want to give them a shout out. Wheeling Wine and Whiskey. We met these guys at Hammers. They're yeah. another off-road. They talk about racing and some other stuff. They had JT Taylor on this week. And I thought, man, Hopper was right. We should have fought these chumps. Can you believe that? I'm always right. But then I listened to the show. They gave us an awesome shout-out. I got to say, maybe we're going to do something in the future with them that doesn't involve fighting. Because I'm going to lose if we fight. Uh, me too, but it's it's a thought that counts. No, in all seriousness, no. They're great dudes over there. Um, we met them in person at Hammers. Uh, it's really fun to hang out with them for a few minutes. You know, it, in all seriousness, I they're cool dudes talking about rad stuff. So yeah. you can't fault them for that. No, it's not a, at all. It's a great podcast, and we want to do something with those guys. They asked if we were going to go to the race in California. I said, eh, we've already surpassed our amount of trips to California for one year, I think, when yeah. we went once. Um, the next big thing that you brought up, you bring up Montana, the Big Sky 200. If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, then you saw this announcement. We, the pit guys, Hopper and I, will be part of the live feed 
for qualifying day at least. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit on race day. Maybe we can talk them into it. Maybe not during our race because yeah, we'll be sitting. The pit guys are doing pit stuff. Man, how cool would that be, though? They gave us a mic while we were pitting. That, uh, we might get arrested. There's some there's some words that come well, out yeah, that shouldn't but be repeated. I don't know if they fall under the FCC guidelines. They don't, but, Zach, we have we have some, some people back in the Midwest that listen that probably wouldn't appreciate yeah. that. So anyway, uh, we had had uh, Grizz and Aaron on a few weeks ago. Grizz reached out to me and said, hey, this something you'd be interested in? And I was like, hell yes, it is. Mm. And then the next thing I did was I messaged Miles from Ultra 4, and I said, dude, you better buckle up because we're coming for your job. Miles, if you're listening to this, I am not coming for your job. Well, you're coming for Pam's job. You just want to dress all skimpy and, and sound all pretty on there like Pam does. I do not. I, I can't talk that long. Like last time, I think Miles and Pam both, it was ten and a half hours. You're like the trophy girl. You'll be the one like that goes to the trophy ceremony and hands them the check and wow, the trophy. Wow, if I was a racer and uh, I saw me as the trophy girl coming, <laughs> I'd want my money back. Well, okay. so Actually, no. I think I'm pretty good looking. I do look at myself in the mirror quite so, a bit. So, Pam, your job, totally safe. Miles, you're the one <laughs> we're coming for, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, in seriousness, like we really appreciated the uh, offer from Grizz and yeah. Aaron. We're super pumped about it. We were going to go to the race anyway. Uh, so now you guys can tune into the live feed for the Big Sky 200. I think that's like June 17th that weekend. And you can maybe actually see our faces. Which I guess you can see our faces on our Facebook posts and yeah. our Instagram stuff. But And if you're following along... Doing stuff with Hopper on YouTube, you can see our faces, you can see our bodies, you can see our projects. You can see Hopper fall on his big fat ass yep. on a motorcycle. Uh, yep, and, and I'm sure there will be more of that. You know, we'd be stunting up in here, bro. So uh, that weekend that we'll be in Montana, that's the same weekend I think that Ultra 4 has a race over in Kentucky, which kind of, uh, you know, plays into the East Coast side of things. So the good news is that we want to get as many of our Colorado racers and our West Coast guys uh, to come with us to Montana because that race is awesome. We've talked about it on here before, but we want to pump up their their numbers. We want to get a car count out there that, that makes Ultra Force say, man, we should not have dumped this race. We should have kept it. Yeah, and you know what? It's a great race. It's As a racer, you should be, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a driver or co-driver, you should be really concerned about seat time, as much seat time as you can get, because how do you get better? With practice. And practicing in the seat is how you're going to get better. So how do you get seat time? You can go up to Montana and go out and race and have have a blast and see Zach and I and hang out with the cool people up there. And this is a win-win situation, unless the wind comes up and then... They, they did tell us that that was like a once-in-a-lifetime. Like, that never has happened before when yeah. they're racing. Uh, well, we mentioned it. Uh, Dirt Every Day guys from Motor mm-hmm. Trend were there one year for the race. Like, it's a it's just a fun race. The great people. We're excited to get to be, like, a bigger part of that. Yeah. Um, maybe Hopper will hand out trophies and checks at that one, too. I don't know. 
Okay, tell you what. If I do hand out trophies and checks, I can take my shirt off and I'll wear my suspenders and I'll put my bow tie on. Well, that just got us fired from that job. That's <laughs> unfortunate. That didn't last long. Uh, are you sure about that? I mean, I think I'm a pretty good looking dude. It's true. So, uh, one other thing that I got on my list that we got to talk about. I just got done pumping up the awesome Big Sky 200. Another event that we uh, are trying to, more than me than you, but I'm going to use you as my wacky. Uh, there was a show and shine UTV show, usually held at the beginning of May here in the Front Range of Colorado. I know a lot of you guys are Colorado listeners. Uh, the, the previous hosts of that uh, just, just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, it was too much work. Life happened, and uh, we're going to take that on, hopefully. So, lots of information to come about that, but here's my ask to the listeners. If anybody out there knows the Bandamers at Bandamere Speedway, I'd love to get a hold of them. Uh, if anybody would have any access, maybe, to a giant parking lot in the front range, I think we could have anywhere between 50 and 100 trucks and trailers show up with rigs. Uh, and we'd also like to change it up a little bit, and we'd like to invite all the off-road community. We don't want just UTVs at this show and shine car show. We'd love to have Jeeps and other off-road rigs. I know we're going to have a bunch of our Ultra 4 buddies show up with race cars. That's going to be pretty badass. So if you guys have any suggestions or leads, that would be sweet. Hit us up. We want to make this an annual event, and we really just want to make it like a, a basic car show, right? You show up in a parking lot with your buddies, y'all got your rigs, y'all lie through your teeth about how much or how little you spent on those rigs, and uh, you just ha get to hang out and network with a bunch of cool people. That's what we're looking to do and create that in the front range. Yeah, and like, like Zach said, it's not just side-by-sides or UTVs, you know, bring what you got, bring what you're proud of. Because it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're doing something, right? Like whether it's a, a gasser or a diesel or you got like a hot rod or a drag car or something, bring it out. Because the way I look at motorsports is, you know, I'm not a ricer. I'm not a freaking low rider. Like those aren't my thing, but I really appreciate the passion that goes into building stuff like that. So I get so excited when I'm around stuff like that, even though it's not my thing. I get excited because guess what? People are out there wrenching on stuff. People are out there wrenching on junk and making it beautiful. So bring, run what you brung and bring what you got. Uh, bring your Honda Groms with knobby tires. Please bring all of your Groms. Yeah, we'd love to have a bunch of those out. So we're we're working on details with that. We need to secure the venue first, and then we're going to get real, de real details out there. But we're looking like around May 21st or 22nd, somewhere that weekend, Front Range of Denver, we need a badass location. We love the idea of Bandamere Speedway. Uh, we haven't heard back from them yet. So if you can think of something that would fit it, fit us all in there, let us know. And if it if it if it uh, helps, I will be wearing no shirt with my suspenders and a bow tie on. And if it helps, he will be wearing a shirt with all that other jazz on. Oh you oh did I yeah. I was shirtless. You want me to wear a shirt. Yeah, I'd like you to wear like three hoodies and a jacket <laughs> and a Ski mask. That'd be great. <laughs> Maybe put a cone on your head. 
I can do that. I got, I've got those resources. All right. Well, it's been a busy week. That was a lot of stuff that we just covered. Yep. Uh, we do have a pretty sweet guest tonight. We uh, messaged the Moab 4400 class winner, Paul Wolf, uh, because we, we know who Paul Wolf is. He's got a little background in side by sides, he's done some things. And so I was just like, hey, Paul, you want to be on the podcast? And just like every other sucker that's ever been on this podcast, they didn't know what they were doing. And they said, heck, yeah, I want to be on your podcast. So we got Paul. We're going to call him up here in a minute. And I get him on. We're real excited. He has done some sweet things in UTVs. He just won his first 4400 race. I mean, this guy's a driver. And he's a builder. He does a lot of the work himself. So we're excited. I'm going to get him on here. Let's uh, let's give a shout out to our boys over at Epoxic, and then we'll get uh, we'll get Paul on here for you guys. Epoxic Enterprises of Laramie, Wyoming, was created by two normal guys with a simple goal in mind: to create a more affordable option for everything off-road. Epoxic started over 15 years ago with a love of Jeeps and rock crawling. While Jeeps were their gateway, the growth of the UTV industry couldn't be ignored and the racing bug came shortly after. Epoxic has a true passion for everything off-road, from racing at Ultra Force King of the Hammers to weekend cruises with the family. Whether you're a first-time UTV owner or an experienced racer, Epoxic Enterprises is here to help you build the machine of your dreams. Ride safe, ride often. Epoxic Enterprises of Laramie, Wyoming. All right, we, we got him on here. Yep. The most recent winner in Ultra 4, Paul Wolf. He, uh, I'm, I'm going to tease you a little bit, man, even though I just met you. You had to have your lady friend uh, get you on the computer here. <laughs> I did, I did, yeah. That's a future wife, hopefully. We're engaged. So. Oh, congratulations. Well, if, she, if she's helping you get on the computer, man, it's, that's a good move. That's, you're moving up, probably. You're like us. Yeah. We definitely married up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm married, married way out of my league for sure. So I'm just a steering wheel holder. I'm good with the steering wheel and a gas pedal. Anything else I'm about useless for. Yeah. So uh, we know who you are because you're an ultra four guy. You've done a little bit of racing. We've seen you at some of the races. You've done pretty good at some of the races. Uh, so after your big win at area BFE, we were like, man, how are we going to top having JT Taylor on the show? And I figured, <laughs> No, no better way than to get another Can-Am winner on our show because you, you guys like seem to be killing it everywhere we go. Yeah, and uh, builds a really good machine, that's for sure. You were cool enough to hit me back and say, heck yeah. So now we're here, man. We got you on the podcast, like every other sucker we've had on this podcast. <laughs> and they, they still keep agreeing to it for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey. Gotta get gotta get it out somewhere. So yeah. So uh I, do. I know you're a, a UTV guy, but I know you race. I, I would imagine you'd probably race whatever you could. Yeah, I'll race about anything. Uh just uh, I guess I'll start right into it. Uh, we started out, me and my brother, uh my dad started a scrapyard, so we started out racing junk cars against each other. So we'd get just random cars in that ran and uh, we'd save them till the weekend. And then we go out and race each other and play tag in cars and damn that sounds cool. The oh my gosh, I am so jealous right now. That is easily the <laughs> coolest like how I got started story we've heard so <laughs> legit, far. Legit, legit. 
Yeah, it's it's no wonder we're both uh, still in one piece. We were probably we we're pretty young doing it. We were probably 13, 12, 13 driving. Oh my gosh. Around, uh, learned real quick to pull airbag fuses out so you don't get hit with airbags. <laughs> um, learned a lot of neat tricks that we probably shouldn't know. But we we uh, raced junk cars and then uh, we did four wheelers for a long time. Uh, just raced uh, local stuff. Really, um, my brother got really big into flat track. Um, I never, it really wasn't my thing. I didn't really like it. I went and did it once in a while. And then uh, side-by-sides came out. And that's kind of more my my world. So I started racing them and uh, obviously went out to Hammers this year. Uh, did pretty good. Did a bunch of hill killing stuff uh, on the East Coast. Um, kind of like that. That was more just wide open, uh, let it fly. Didn't really just make the car live for a minute and a half. It's pretty easy to do that. And you can get pretty wild doing that. So after that, uh, I don't know, I guess the Ultra 4 caught my attention. Just, you know, uh, trying to make the car live for an hour is is definitely a different challenge. So a lot of fun. Where are you? Where are you from? Where are you based out of? So I'm in southern Illinois. Um, we're on the Illinois side of St. Louis. So basically I can be like downtown St. Louis and about. 40, 45 minutes, uh, pretty easy. So we're not not pretty much St. Louis, but all we're out in the country still. So still got plenty of room to to have fun and and run around. But it's all cornfields by me. There's no hills. There's nothing like that. It's all just flat ground. Sure. Well, that's, I man, I I'm still sitting here thinking about you know where your beginnings. Like I scrapyard. Junk car. I wish we could do that right now. Oh and I'm gosh. I'm 40. I'm not even 13, man. I mean, do you still have access to a scrapyard, junkyard, and scrap cars? Because I got a weekend coming up. <laughs> it, it, as you get older, you learn that they hurts a lot more. So there, we actually used to take them across. We had a motocross trail, and we used to race each other, and we eventually get the bright idea to jump them across the motocross track. And when we were young, it was great, but now I don't think I could possibly hold up to do it now. Well, Hopper has slipped and fallen or wrecked a motorcycle and fallen straight on his ass twice this week. Yeah. It's and he hopped right back up. Well, I, I see my, the secret to my, my longevity is I've got a hot tub. So at the end of every day, <laughs> I can, I can self-medicate with a little whiskey and sit in my hot tub and everything's all better. Or at least I tell myself everything's all better. <laughs> That's awesome. I need to, I need to get one of those and try that then. I uh, I've, I highly recommend it. Um, so did you? So you talked about you did some some quad racing and then you went to to side by sides. Did you ever were you ever on dirt bikes at all or? No, uh, I just never. I don't know why. I just never really got big into dirt bikes. Um, my cousins and stuff had had a couple and we ran around with them guys, but. I just never really took the time to ever get good on one and let alone really ride one. I think I've owned like one dirt bike in my lifetime. Um, just, I, I don't know. I, I've always liked four wheeling. So I always did, uh, you know, like Toyota trucks come in the scrapyard and we go run them around through the woods and stuff. Uh, and then we did a bunch of four wheeler racing, you know, uh, 400 EXs. So back, back way back when, when they were cool. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, now, now they're, I don't think kids even know what those are anymore. <laughs> the old style 400X is a no size. <laughs> but uh, then we got into 450s. Uh, my brother more or less got into most of that stuff. I pretty much just kind of did it on the side. Just every once in a while, I'd go race with him. Um, and then once the side-by-sides came out, uh, 
he actually bought a, a razor originally and, and ran it. And then uh, we always ended up blowing it up. It seemed like constantly. So when the Can-Ams came out, we made the jump and pretty much never went back since. Uh, had a, I think it was a, like a 2016 Can-Am Maverick when they first came out. Um, I think they were like 101 horse and we thought that was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and now, now I think they're up over 200 out of yeah. the box. So you you talked about you made the switch. Was it because you found the Can-Am to be a more robust vehicle? Like was it a better, in your opinion, a better chassis? Was it a better engine? Like what, what made you like the Can-Am um, over the Polaris? So we ran the Razor 800 and uh, like I said, we blew it up like three times in a row. It seemed like it, like it just would not hold up to the way we how hard we are on them i guess hmm. and so when we, we jumped to the can-am and the motor just never we never had motor or transmission issues and we just ran ran the living daylights out of them um so it was like just replace axles or if you hit something hard enough you may have to you know replace some a-arms but it was pretty easy to, to maintenance compared to what the razor was for us hmm. and you took that and you went into rock like the rock racing yeah, so so the original car I took was actually my first one I ever bought. I took it and uh, built a chassis for it, a hideous looking chassis, um, and went and rock raced. It was learned a lot. Um, it was way too heavy, um, so I went and beat it off everything. Ran it for a year, and then uh, at the end of the year, I I sold it and I bought an X3, and I took a brand new X3 and just gutted it and uh, pretty much just took all the parts I wanted out of it and. Uh, built another chassis and won uh, my first championship the first year I raced that and and that was we didn't have any I really put stock shocks on it so there was no shock tuning on it um, it had the visco lock front end which I blew apart like every weekend because I had the <laughs> axles and stuff so they come a long way since then so now they take a lot more abuse than that did back then so uh, I don't know if you've heard this story but we we had Kyle Cheney on Oh, a little, a little while back, he told us about his first Can-Am. And I, if I remember correctly, his grandma helped him buy his first Can-Am. That was the story that we got from Kyle. Uh, surely that's not a Can-Am thing. Your grandma didn't help you buy your first Can-Am. No, no, no. Oh, no. That, that <laughs> was there. On all the toys, we're on our own. Uh, no, nobody helps us buy toys. So if we're going to buy something to race, it's pretty much on us. Uh, like I said, we worked, we worked for my dad and uh, he, he paid us, you know, which, you know, some days we got paid a little more than others. Most days we just worked for the living, <laughs> living the house is what he told us. Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm familiar with that situation. Yes. Yep. So you, you know, you said something earlier talking about going, going back to the scrapyard. I'm, I'm fixated on this. Um, you were, you know, you said you had some Toyotas that came in and you just kind of thrashed them coming into the scrapyard, man. Those days are long gone, like the old, you know, second gen, the first gen Toyota pickups and then the the T100s. And man, you find a you find a clapped out. I don't know how it is there, but in Colorado, like there can be something that's got a blown motor and the chassis rusted to pieces. And it's a 1988 Toyota pickup and they're still wanting 6K for it. It's ridiculous. Those old those old beater Toyotas are now worth gold. Yeah, you pretty much, uh, we, we just ran around with junk. So, like, it was, uh, this was it Samurai? I think it was Suzuki Samurai. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those things would just roll over, man. 
Yeah, well, they're so narrow, they fit to the trees up here. So I really like them because you could run them on, pretty much run them on a four-wheeler trail, where once you got into like the CJs and anything bigger, they wouldn't really fit, or you had to just practically destroy the body to get them through anything. And so, well, on doing the scrapyard deal, I didn't care about the bodies of anything. Because yeah. <laughs> basically, as long as we bought them for weight, and as long as they still weighed the same when we sold them, it we'd flatten them. So. <laughs> We, we really didn't care about how they looked. It was just yeah. run them. So but this brings up an interesting point. Was the Suzuki Samurai the first side-by-side? -side? Or was it a, a predecessor to the current? Oh, man, you know, never thought about that. It, we did. We did. This came up when we were in Oklahoma last summer. And there was a little Suzuki Samurai, a little white one down at one of the obstacles. And we were looking at it. And I thought to myself, this is the first side by side. This is it. It's the granddaddy. I yeah. can see that. It, it definitely uh, it, it would rank right in there close. I think I think it's actually smaller than what the X threes are now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not wrong there. It's it's pretty crazy. So uh, you you're rock crawling and rock competition racing. You win. You got a can am. Like tell tell us how you got hooked up with can am because you're you're one of the. You know, Kyle told us, you don't just call Can-Am and say, hey, I want to race for you. How did you uh, get hooked up into that world? I, actually, I guess we probably got our foot in the door uh, the first time we ran Hammers. Um, my brother raced. I co-rode with him. That's been, I think it's been about three, three or four years ago. It's been quite a little while ago. And we finished fifth. And that, that kind of got us a little bit of a recognition with Can-Am and then on the East Coast stuff, uh, I'd always done really good at the hill climbing stuff, me. So we, we kind of used that as leverage. I, I won a couple championships doing the hill climb stuff and side-by-sides. And so just kind of, I don't know, keep, keep beating the door down, calling, you know, talking to people and just make sure your name keeps showing up at the top. And uh, that's kind of how we got a, a start with Can-Am and, and got our foot in the door with them. Uh, I don't, I mean, we're, we're still always trying to work for more or better. And, and I guess I'm trying to move myself forward as a racer. So I, I definitely not to the end with Can-Am. I think there's a lot more we can do with them. And uh, I think after Hammers this year, that helped a lot too. I said, Ham Hammers is a huge, huge stepping stone. It's a huge spot, you know, kind of all the best people in the world go to that one race. And, and that's pretty much where if you can do it there, it's, you know, you kind of prove yourself pretty good against everybody. So that, I think that's pretty huge being able to do that. And then uh, not, not just win races that are, I'm trying to think how to say it. Just basically I've always pushed myself to go race the people that are, I think are the best. Um, so, you know, whether that's Kyle Chaney or, or whoever, you know, um, I just go to chase whoever I think the best is. And I want to try to beat them. Not, I don't want to just win a race to say, Oh, I want a race. Now that that's not really, uh, I guess, the competition I'm looking for. I want to beat whoever the best is. And so I think that helps tremendously. Hmm. So uh, we've, we've asked our other guests this before, because a lot of us are ultra four guys. King of the Hammers is our Super Bowl. Like, tell us about your first King of the Hammers or how you learned about King of the Hammers. So, so we uh, heard about it and whatnot, and we went out in november one year i went out there with my brother and uh some friends we're gonna go out here and just just run it and pre-run and we got a, a buddy a knox griffin 
he'd been out there before and raced and he had an old uh, GPS file. And so we got with him, went out there and we ran the course, I guess it was from the year before, just to see what it was. We didn't have any idea, really seen videos. And once we seen it all and uh, did that, we're like, oh, this is, this is us. This is what we need to be doing. This is right up our alley. Um, and, and I'll argue the point, I think guys on the East Coast uh, can normally outcrawl the guys on the West Coast just uh, because of when we do it over here, our rocks are all slick. We don't have traction. So, you know, that's kind of where the rock bouncing and all that comes from. Um, when you get out there and get on the rocks and have traction, it's almost like it's like cheating for us. It's like, this makes it way easier for us to be able to climb stuff. We're used to the East Coast. You got to line it up and shoot it or you won't ever make it. And there's the added bonus when you get done with a race, you don't have to spend the next eight months scraping freaking mud off of everything. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> that, that's extremely true. That, that's nice. You just go get a garden hose and wash some dust off. Yeah. And go Although the dust does, if you're out there, don't take care of yourself, your, your own personal body and stuff. It'll, it'll destroy you. Dude, you that was, it. that was the motto for this year, man. The dust this year was like, I just haven't seen that that bad in the last couple of years. Maybe because the crowds were bigger too, but man, the dust, I just washed my razor this week. I mean, we haven't been at hammers for like two months. Yeah. I think I still have some hammer dust boogers every once in a yeah. while. I got California hammer dust in my driveway right now. It's great. I, it's definitely neat. Um, and then getting out there with like them guys from the West Coast that run desert, that's impressive. Mm. Get, getting behind one of those guys and, and just trying to learn as much as you can from, you know, like a Phil Blurton. And them guys are just, they're crazy, crazy fast in the desert. Just trying to learn as much as I can, you know, out there from them guys. So it's impressive what, what the West Coast guys can do in the desert, for sure. Yeah, so that'd be the aspect that's kind of new to you is that desert style. It is, it is. It seems like we, uh, I think we struggle more with the desert, just trying to learn the desert and learn uh, what to do in the desert and uh, what to watch for and stuff like that. I think that's a huge learning curve for us. And then setting the cars up for the desert is, is just completely different than anything we're used to out here on the East Coast. We have nothing that can mimic it, you know, and, and that's what really makes it hard is we can't go out and, and test unless we go all the way out there to mm. test. We have nothing over here to, to test with to mimic that kind of situation. Yeah, you got lots of lots of trees and whatnot. It's just I, you know, you go out east and I, I get I get kind of like a claustrophobic thing going on because I can't see because you can't look around and just see like out here in the west. I mean, granted, you got mountains and whatnot, but usually you can see for miles and then. <laughs> So you got like trees and you got mud, you got all sorts of crazy stuff over there that is just foreign. <laughs> well, and I think that that's something that like a lot of guys underestimate is the desert part of King of the Hammers, right? They think, man, this is, I'm going to cruise through this. This is going to be the easy part. And every year it blows me away, at least in the, in the UTV race specifically, how many guys don't even make it to pit one the first time. Dude, it's, it's brutal. Like I, I definitely think the desert's underestimated by a lot of people. Uh, and, and it's been by ourselves included, uh, me and my brother, when he drove, we, uh, endowed a car out there in the desert. Um, mm. I think a lot of it is, is, uh, just trying to learn, learn what you're looking for out there. Cause like we, we only run desert, you know, when we go to hammers, if you're normally an East coast racer, you only see it one time and 
and just trying to learn what, what to watch for, you know, when you're out here in the East coast and you're running, you know, we know to watch for ravines and, and stuff like that. And we kind of train ourselves to pick it up on it. You know, when you're running, watch how the Hills are rolling and, and watch for the ditches and stuff. But out there, it's just a completely different animal. It's so, so different. So this year at Hammers, you, uh, also, you ran a couple of races but you also got into the uh, the shootout on Monday night, which is like a staple event, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We were we were watching. We were we were in Hammertown watching on the jumbotron, and <laughs> we were hanging out at the at the tribe fire pits. Yeah, and uh, you know you don't always know who's in that event or whatever. I recognize your name with racing UTVs and racing Can-Am and they're like, Oh, Paul Olson, this thing. And I'm like, man, somebody put a side-by-side in this thing. This is going to be crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. Like I said, we do all the, the hill climbing out here and uh, it's a lot different. I don't know if you've ever been to the stuff on the East coast, the hill climbs out here, they're a lot longer and you normally get a lot more wheel spin and stuff. Um, so going out there, uh, the hills out there are, are, they're just so much different than we do on the East Coast. But I went and looked at it and seen it. And uh, I obviously asked them about 50 times before we started. I was like, because they had that bounty at the very end, the last two ledges. And uh, I asked them, I'm like, so you're telling me if I, if I start here and I finish here at the fastest time, I win, you know, the shootout. And then this is just a bonus up here. And they, they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay. Because I kind of knew that uh, them ledges up there, I knew they weren't going to happen just from being around and racing so much hill stuff. I knew it was going to take like a moon rover or something like that to go up it. Um, it's just the way it was set up is just not set up for like how what we do rock bouncing wise. It, it's just too much of a, a crawl style hill. Um, if it had a better lead in at the bottom, guys could have jumped it. But just the way the lead in was at the bottom, it, there was no way to jump it or nothing. So I pretty much knew that wasn't going to happen for any rock bouncers. I knew it was going to be a moon rover or something like that that was going to be able to do it. Um, so I just went for what I, I knew would work and and didn't bother going and trashing my car. Well, that was that was the crazy thing. We're hanging out down there. You know, you hear everyone talking. And so we watched you go and and we watched, you know, your, your technique, your strategy, the decision. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, this is like the smartest thing ever. How come no one else has thought of this? Well, I think the initial reaction was, damn, he ran that first part fast. And then you pulled yeah. out immediately. And so everybody's like, oh, he broke. Side by side broke. Side by side's no yeah. good. And then all of a sudden people put it together. Now he did that intentionally. Yeah. Because he just yeah. won like the prize. Yeah. And he still has a car in one piece. Yeah. It was genius, man. <laughs> genius. Yeah. That that's definitely a, a huge thing is keeping the car in one piece because I've I've definitely done the whole deal where I win some money and I go hit something else and and I destroy way more than what, what I just won so I, I've learned over the years you know take what you can get and, and try to go home. So you've ran uh, the UTV race a few years there at KOH right? You've done pretty good in that race. Yep. Um, what uh, what is your next step at KOH? What are I know? I mean, we're going to talk about you getting into forty four hundred and unlimited stuff. Um, but what else are you wanting to do at, at Hammer specifically? Um, I'll race anything. I, I don't care what it is. I don't. I mean, 
just anything with a cage, I'll definitely race. Um, I try to avoid doing the whole four-wheeler and three-wheeler stuff anymore. That tends to hurt too <laughs> bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, anything. You know, I've actually been been checking out them stock Broncos they've been racing. That mm -hmm. looks like a lot of fun to race the stock, like the stock class. Um, so maybe one of these days I'll find something to enter into the stock class and go go race it. But uh, for right now, it's, it's the UTV class. Um, I think going into next year, I'm going to try to run the – the UTV uh, race. And I want to run the desert race though. I want to do that. It was like a 200 mile desert race. I think they do beforehand. Um, I want to go ahead and, and push and uh, try to do that and just uh, challenge myself basically to run, to run all of it. Um, I, I think it, and Kyle has done it this year. I think he ran the desert race and he ran the UTV hammers race and he ran the 4,400 race. Um, I plan on doing all that stuff. Uh, obviously, the 4400, I'll be in a 4400 car, but um, hopefully, I can run the desert and then run, turn around and run the uh, the actual UTV race itself. So, and then if anything else comes up, I'm I'm definitely open to it. I'm not uh, going to turn it down. That's for sure. Yeah, think well. You mentioned Phil Blurton a little earlier. He does that too. I mean, he's a definitely more of a desert guy, but then he also stays to the second weekend and runs that that KOH UTV race, which I always think is cool. I kind of love it when those guys from different backgrounds run it and see, I mean, he does pretty good, you know, for a desert guy, I guess. Yeah, he's fast. He's definitely fast. Um, I, I definitely think he's, he's a contender every year. I mean, he qualified, I don't know if he was on the pole this year or he was second. He was right there at the top. Um, he was definitely ready to uh, throw down. Um, you can't count, can't count Phil out. Not, not at all. So he's fast and you got a Dustin Jones is fast. There, there's a lot of heavy hitters that come from all over and, and that's, what's cool about it, man. It, it is literally, if you want to go compare yourself against the best, that's the race to go to. So you, uh, you had a pretty good hammers this year. Uh, we get out, we go through the whole transition with uh, the Ultra 4 sale, uh, the schedule change, all that stuff. And then uh, all of a sudden I see on Facebook, you know, you're going to be at Moab and you're going to have uh, this 4,400 car. Like not, you're not going to race a UTV in the 4,400 race. Like you got a 4,400 car. Uh, so I want to know more about that, man, because that's, that's a big jump, right? It, it is. It's definitely a big jump. So just a little backstory to, to y'all. And uh, during the Hammers deal, I was supposed to drive a 4,400 car, a solid axle 4,400 car. And we went and ran it, and uh, we had an issue with a ring and pinion in the car and uh, ended up not being able to run the car. And so that's how I ended up qualifying my UTV, even though it didn't pass tech, is we actually teched the 4,400 car, which I probably shouldn't be telling everybody this, but we teched the 4,400 car. And we had every intention of racing it. And the day before qualifying, we were going through it and we realized we had a ring and pinion that was coming apart in the car. And uh, we couldn't get one in time. And so we're sitting there, we already paid everything. And we have the same numbers on my UTV and the 4400 car. And we're like, well, we'll just go qualify the Can-Am and I'll just race it. And so we went and qualified. And then the day before the race, they have you go through tech. And so I went up there to tech the car and they're like, oh yeah, this ain't, this ain't happening. And so. We, that's how we ended up getting out of it. And I know a lot of people were, were thinking they purposely did something. I had guys calling and asking me, and, and it was nothing. It was my own fault because um, I didn't go to tech the, the right way. And so 
you know, it is what it is. Uh, but anyways, after that whole, whole deal, um, I got with some guys and we were talking and, uh, he was looking at some UFO cars and he really liked them and, uh, ended up, we worked out a deal and stuff. And, and, uh, I went out to NorCal race and, uh, Dan Wyatt was the owner of the car. He brought it down and, uh, I was going to test drive it just to make sure we liked the car and stuff. And I went out and practiced at NorCal and playing around. I probably turned more practice laps than anybody out there just getting a feel for the car. And I ended up in turn, their, their practice is qualifying and I laid down the fastest lap and I qualified myself on the pole for the race. So then <laughs> we went out in heat one and I uh, won heat one and we went out for heat two. Um, I came in third, uh, JP is like the reigning, reigning champion there, JP Gomez. Him and uh, Darian were out in front of me and uh, I learned a bunch from them following them. And then we came out in the main and uh, they, them two were in front beating on each other pretty hard. And I was learning, learning a lot from a 4,400 car. I didn't realize how much you could do with them, how rough that you could be on the car. And so uh, they ended up uh, taking out there. He took himself out or I don't know if JP hit him. I don't know how he ended up taking himself out. And, and uh, me and JP started battling after that. And, we ended up running, actually ran the fastest lap time of the day out there. I ended up finishing second, and, uh, and pretty much that was that was the start to the 4400 racing. And then we left there, and a week later we're in uh, Moab. So I flew home. Dan and Jason, his mechanic, they prepped the car, and they took it to Moab. And I flew home to St. Louis and prepped my Can-Am, and I drove to Moab, and we all met in Moab, and uh, I raced out there i qualified the can-am first and then in the 4400 car i ended up uh, blowing a corner and qualifying just not used to uh, so when you're in a 4400 car it takes a little longer to get the car to move the way you want because of the weight behind it and so i drove a little too deep in a corner blew a corner out and ended up qualifying like 12th and then we came out and raced and uh the can-am i had some uh, issues with some brackets on the front of the car um some steering brackets ended up breaking on me out there and then uh, we came in the 4400 and ended up winning the race, which was pretty wild there. It, it got real interesting um, doing that. Have you, uh, had you ever been to area BFE? Had, did you race there last year when we were there? No, I've never been out there. So this is the first time going out there, uh, getting a feel for it and everything. Um, this was my first year. I've actually drove hammers this year for the first time. And then I went out there to area. I've never been out there at all. So um, just seen pictures and watched some YouTube videos of, of everybody else racing and called a few guys I knew that had been there and tried to pick their brain the best I could for car setup and then just went out there and I don't know, went for it, I guess. Well, we're big fans of Moab because we're, yes. we're close. You know, we're about six hours. It's fun. We went to the BFE race last year. Hopper was there this year. I mean, that that's like – an insane course, right? You, you don't, I say this, you don't just show up at area BFE and just run fast because it's nuts. And then you got somebody like JT trying to kill you making four or five new trails that have never existed. And then you show up and you, you do that, man. You ran fast. I, you ran fast in the UTV. You ran fast in the 4,400 car. Like, man, I'm, I didn't get to go because the schedule change didn't work for me. So I'm live feeding all this on the internet and I'm like, damn, like this guy is just like putting down laps every time past. 
Yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. Uh, a lot of it, I had a really good car in the 4400. The, the car was phenomenal. Um, Joe Thompson, that he built a, a awesome car, and then Dan and and Jason really had the car set up. Like uh, without them guys, I, there's no way I could could have done it because we came out and uh, the car immediately was just clicking. Like everything was working. They had it geared spot on, and uh, we were just running along. And what I felt like was a, a pretty reasonable pace. And I come back on the first lap and, and they said, why are you pushing so hard? And I, I'm not. I said, the car just feels good. Everything's working. And they're like, just take it easy. And so <laughs> after that, I just started trying to just make sure I'm taking care of the car and, and watching it. And uh, we knew we had a lead going. Um, Dan was running the times and stuff and keeping track. And, and he knew we had a good lead. And we ended up getting into some lap traffic. Um, I don't know what lap we were on. We were, I think, lap six, roughly. Um, something like that. Um, I was actually catching Lauren physically. Um, I knew I had him beat on time. I knew I didn't have to pass him, but I was catching him. And I'm not going to lie, I'm, I've seen all these legends, you know, that that are racing against now, you know, and so I'm kind of deep down, I wanted to pass him just to say, hey, I passed Lauren. But, uh, you know, because these, these guys are all guys I've watched forever. So it was just neat. And uh, we ended up getting in the lap traffic and he's out in front of me and the lap guy got between us running through a canyon and between the two cars stirring up dust, I just couldn't see very well. And looking back now, I should have obviously backed off and, and let, let it settle more. But at the time, you know, you're going and I had a rock sticking out of a side of a, an embankment, I guess we were leaning against and it ended up cutting a sidewall on a tire. And then uh, luckily I was close enough to the finish line. I was able to run it back on a flat, um, ran it back. And then uh, we got there and we ended up uh, having a jack mess up on us, had a jack failure and, mm. and uh, couldn't get the car jacked up all the way. And so it ended up costing us like, I think we were spent like three minutes in the pit. I don't know, for me, it felt like a year sitting mm -hmm. inside the car. Um, it was super aggravating inside the car. But uh, anyways, my guys, they got a change. They got another jack. I think uh, Terry Madden and his crew, actually, we borrowed a jack. They ran one over from their pit without us even asking and helped us out because we ended up in a bad situation. The jack was messed up. We had the flat tire off the car and we had no way of getting it out. And, and they ended up coming over with their jack and helping us get it out and get it changed. And uh, it pretty much took our lead away. Um, so I took off on that lap. That must've been, cause that wasn't, that was a second to last lap. So lap seven. And so I ran lap seven and came back in and, and we had like an 11 second lead over Lauren and we knew you know, Lauren was going to go for it. There wasn't, you know, anybody in that position was. And so uh, they told me on the radio, uh, the new car owner and Dan and them, I asked them how hard they wanted me to run the car. And they said, go for it. So I let it loose. And was Man, that's awesome. <laughs> it was, it was wild. It was definitely fun. Uh, I got I to apologize to the uh, Jensen brothers. I think I, I tagged them pretty hard at the finish line a couple times there. <laughs> Um, probably got a little too excited. I probably should have just been more patient, but it is what it is now. So uh, last year when we were at BFE, our buddy, uh, Dan, he's a co-driver at 4,800 and, uh, he wasn't racing. And so somebody got hurt and they needed a co-driver for a 4,400 car. So our buddy, Dan jumps in this 4,400 car to co-drive at BFE. And after the race, we're asking him, man, like, what was it like going from 4,800 to 4,400? And he was like, dude, night and day. 
he was like the first of all the horsepower is is just ridiculous like the power is insane the geometry of the car and you kind of said it how how it handles and goes through those turns is different he's like the funniest thing is is that these dudes you see these guys go by right and they're just constantly peeling the tires out and kicking up dirt he's like that's not because they're trying to go fast because it's slower to do that he said they're literally trying to create dust clouds behind them to screw up the guy behind them He's yeah. like, that's the, co- it's not just the cars, it's the competition. It's that mentality of that unlimited class. He's like, it's a whole nother level. Yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, it's wild to be out there racing. And and, and it's neat because I like how hard, like how hard we'll compete against each other. I noticed this, like, we'll, we'll run each other really, really hard. But like, once I get up behind somebody, especially starting 12th and coming all the way up to the front like that, I noticed they'd race me real hard, but once I got to them and, and they knew I was there, they'd move over and let me by. And and so everybody was super respectful. And I thought that was really, really cool of them uh, th- that they would, as soon as we get to them, you know, and actually I'd get all the way to them, then they'd move out of the way and let me by. And I, I was super happy. I was actually kind of surprised by, uh, I, I was under the impression I would have, I would have had to bump more people or, or move more people. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have to move anybody. And uh, even the guy that got between me and Lauren, um, the way it worked out is he actually pulled over and let Lauren by and just didn't realize I was behind Lauren. Um, you know, I'm sure he heard Lauren siren. And as uh, soon as Lauren went by, he jumped back out. And uh, I, I know he just didn't see me. He didn't know I was back there. Because um, normally you just pull over to let one car by, let alone, you know, you don't expect two guys to go by you. So, you know, and, and it was just one of them deals. You know, he didn't see us and it happened. But. Yeah, it's definitely a fierce competition. Um, you're there to compete and you're there to win, which I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, and I think it's funny because there's always like this 4,400 versus UTV argument. Uh, it's entertaining <laughs> to follow along, but I mean, look, they're two uh, different. They're two different cars. Like everything's different about them. But I was a little nervous. Like you did good at, at NorCal, so I was like, man, this will be this will be an interesting race to watch i mean the watching on live feed that was probably one of the best like last couple of laps of a 4400 race i've seen in a while it was a great race but i was a little concerned i'm like man are they gonna treat him like a 4400 guy or are they gonna treat him like a utv guy because we think we have this preconceived notion that there's this clash um i don't know if there really is or not right a racer is a racer i think that's what it is but you went out there in your first two races, man, and you were like, dude, it, it doesn't matter. A racer is a racer. And you, yeah, I mean, it was incredible to watch. Definitely. Uh, I think it's one of the things that I, it never crossed my mind, to be honest. I, I went out there to win. Um, I don't care how they see me, to tell you the truth. I, I could care less. Um, I'm there to do a job, uh, and that's what I'm there for. Um, you know, obviously, I'm going to be respectful and polite to everybody and and even, even, you know, passing guys and stuff, I'm going to give them a chance. I, I don't want to hit them. I don't want to push on them. I don't want to beat on them. Um, and I don't want them to do it to me if, if the, you know, we're the other way around. Um, you know, just one, the cars are way too expensive to be destroying like that. Um, and two is, you know, it's just mutual respect. And I got respect for all them guys. Uh, you know, and a lot of them I've, I've watched and, and been like, man, that's going to be so awesome to race against them. So, you know, and so I got a ton of respect for all of them. And 
Um, really, it never crossed my mind to be looked at as a UTV guy or a 4400 guy or whatever. I just look at everybody. We're all there to race, so let's go race. Yeah, the one <clears throat> the one thing that's kind of a bummer. So I was there is you don't get to really see the race except for when you come through like the finish line area. Um, so I I was like I'm just sitting here, and every once in a while you guys would go past. Um, so I didn't get to see it till after the fact. I went back on YouTube and was able to watch the actual live feed because it was recorded. But that's that's one drawback. Like Zach's watching this, Zach's texting, you know, like he's like, oh man, this is going. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just sitting here, you know, every once in a while they'll go past me and otherwise it's kind of quiet. So uh, the, the flip side to that is it is miserable to sit at home and watch these races yeah. and not be there. Yep. Like I wanted to be oh, there yeah. so bad. So now could you guys see the didn't they have a jumbotron there? Could you see the jumbotron that they had set up? Yeah. So usually I don't hang out by the jumbotron because one, there's a bunch of people there, and two, like there's no shade. So <laughs> I'm hiding down in the shade. Uh it so I, I guess I could have watched the jumbotron, um, but I was I was chasing the shade. I don't blame you. It was pretty hot. Yeah. And then we get back up here and it's 20 degrees and snowing. So I'm like, I wish I was back there roasting at area BFB. I don't know. They got snow, didn't they, yesterday? They did. Yeah. So it's funny because, like, all these people I follow on Instagram, all these Jeep companies, my buddy Matt, um, he's trying to build a Jeep right now. And he's super annoyed. He's like, I can't get a hold of anybody at any of these companies because everyone's at EJS, right? Easter Jeep Safari. And I'm watching and everyone's like posting pictures. They're all soggy. They're wearing their ponchos. They're like slipping around on the slick rock covered in snow. I'm like, I'm not as jealous as I could be at the moment. <laughs> so there is a plus side to that. Well, it seems like everywhere I've gone this year is cold, right? Hammers was nice, but it was cold. It was chillier than in the years past. You know, you got to go to Moab and it was great when you were there. But when I went to Arkansas and it was cold, you know, I just can't get away from this cold this year. Yeah. But I good news is when we go to Oklahoma in, in uh, July, it's not going to be cold. I promise. Well, yeah, that's, that's the opposite problem. Too far. That's the other yeah. end of the spectrum. So uh, you're a 4,400 class winner, which is pretty cool to say. Um, what else are you going to do this year? What's on your slate or your calendar? Uh, I'm going to push, I'm going to run and try to run all the ultra four East and West both. Um, so I want to hit every single ultra four race with both cars, the Can-Am and the 4,400. That's a uh, priority. Number one for me is doing that. And then, uh, I'll probably dip out and hit a few, uh, like Red Bull scramble races. Um, maybe hit a couple of hill climbs just for fun, just cause that's, you know, I enjoy it still. Um, but the big, big goal is the 4,400 car and the Can-Am and Ultra 4. Um, really, for, for me, on the being over here, the 4,400 car races are few and fewer between. Hopefully, they'll get some more series and stuff running where you can have some more options. Um, and I think they will with time. I think uh, Mid-America is doing some pretty awesome things down there, um, you know, in Oklahoma and stuff, which that's not terribly far from me. That's like uh, six and a half hours, so. That's relatively pretty close for me to get to, um, which I really think that uh, Jason, they're, they're building a, a pretty big uh, park. And, and they're, I think they're really going to change change a lot of the, the stuff as far as it being all on the West Coast 
I think they're going to bring a lot of the racers from the West Coast, bring them out to the Midwest and, uh, you know, get them out here racing a lot more. So it'll, it'll be fun to see them series develop over here in the next year or two. And then also it'll push, you know, the side-by-sides normally come with it. So it'll be pretty awesome that maybe I don't have to drive, you know, 28, 30 hours to, to go out and race just the West Coast. Yeah, that that is the killer, man, is some of these drives. You know, I had a similar reaction at first. You're like, I hate change. I don't, I don't like this change. They're screwing the schedule up. But then you think about it and like to have a, a centrally based headquarters like MAO, I mean, it really does play in to the favor of everybody, right? The, yeah, the Midwest is, it's in the middle, right? You know, our buddy Cody Quattlebaum over there in Georgia, man, that poor dude, he drives more just to get the hammers than we would drive in a whole season. And it makes it a little easier for him. And I agree, just having go, gone to MAO and seen the facilities, I mean, what, what they are willing to do and spend and invest, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. No hit to the old Ultra 4 and Dave and those guys. Uh, but, but Jason and JT and Joey and those guys, they're aggressive, man. They want to do some stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, they're they're doing a lot, and and again, like you said, no no disrespect to Dave. Dave built an awesome awesome sport. I mean, you know him and everybody that worked on it with him. This is definitely, I think, one of the cool sports you can do. Um, so you know, I'm super super happy to you know they started it and, and built it. But again, you know, Jason and JT and Joey and all of them, the whole team over there, they got a huge huge team in Mid America, and and they're gonna push it. Like I, I don't. Just just the rumor mill and all the stuff you hear that they're doing is just it's next level. Everything about it is is going to be there. Uh, you know, I mean, they already got a lazy river. They got a pool. You know, it's they got concerts. You know, the concerts out there are, are ridiculous. The amount of people they have. Well, this and, isn't like a shameless plug for MAO, but they did come out with the vision schedule this week. They're going to have freaking a rodeo and bull riding one night. They're going to have uh, uh, several series. They're going to have the rock bouncers. They're going to have the short course guys there. They're going to have ultra four there. Uh, What was some of the other crazy stuff they're going to have? Well, they posted a picture of an ACDC like uh, a tribute band band, and our car owner, Joe was like, dude, ACDC is going to be there. We got to (laughs) go. Well, and you know, that's all fine and dandy. The only problem for me is there's there's two places in the in the entire world that I would rather not go. Number one is Nebraska. Like Nebraska is like the bottom of my shoe. Number two is Oklahoma. The two most awful places I can think of. So like we've got MAO, it's it's like new and exciting, and they're doing all this stuff, but it's in freaking Oklahoma. But at least it's not Nebraska, which is it could be worse. This is crazy because for those of you that like don't know Hopper, like my family is from Oklahoma. I have a lot of friends in Oklahoma. You are like a natural Oklahoman. Like you just don't know it, man. I get, I guess, I guess. But like I said, Nebraska and then Oklahoma, my two least favorite places ever. But well, it's slowly changing. They keep building a bigger park here. I eventually have to like it. 
Yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm still going to go. I mean, I'm still going to go and have a good time I mean, whether they, I want to or not. Your your <laughs> racing debut hopper is going to be at MAO in the pit bike races. That's true. I did forget about, about that. I did forget <laughs> hey, last time I heard that got pretty serious. The last time they had it. it. They had on, like Nitro Circus there racing. Well, hey, if, if, if you got to watch the latest episode of my YouTube doing stuff with Hopper. I am pretty serious when it comes to mini bikes and by pretty serious, I mean, pretty seriously, uh, unskilled or something along those lines. I I do have a backup plan for Hopper's racing career. Again, credit to MAO for having an event like this. And that is the Barbie Jeep downhill (laughs) slip and slide event. I'm super pumped about seeing that. They, they pay really good for that, but it, I don't know if they cover the hospital bills. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, you talked about you, you, you're kind of what you've done, you know, kind of where you're going. One exciting thing that we haven't talked about is how you're going to start. According, I, I'm just browsing kind of some social media, but it looks like you're going to get into like retired jet airliner racing. Uh, <laughs> looks like you're building a sweet racing fuselage of some kind. Oh yeah, we we get some planes in once in a while in the scrapyard. So yeah, I thought that was I thought that was hilarious. I saw that on your Instagram. Like that's freaking awesome. <laughs> that that's my hopes and dreams. I hope to be able to finish that one day and I'll fly to the races. Then I don't have to drive anymore. Oh yeah, now <laughs> now you're thinking. So you you do the racing. Do you also do like do you build stuff? Are you into fabricating at all or? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually fabricate all my own cars. So all the side-by-sides, uh, I build myself, uh, everything, my single seat chassis, um, even all the stuff, my cars are hammer cars. I build them all, um, from the ground up. So yeah, I, I fabricate it all. Uh, I'm actually been here lately considering and getting into that side of it more. Um, I guess, I guess getting out of the, the scrap business and, uh, going more into fabricating and, and doing the racing stuff full time. So that's, that's actually been transitioning a little bit. That's pretty exciting. Like I, you know, I'm part of this, this Rocky mountain speed and fab team, but I don't race, you know, I, I, I help out in the pits, but my true passion is in building. So like I get super excited when guys are talking about, yeah, you know, I build my stuff. Um, you know, I want to focus on that, the fabrication part, like in my opinion, that's super awesome. Like if I was to race when I would race, I'm not racing the fastest guy. I'm not racing a clock. My whole thing is like, you know, what can this machine do? Like, I know, I know that machine spindle or that, like, how's that going to hold up? Like, that's what gets me exciting. And it's like, it's exciting when I hear guys like you talking about doing your own work. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely neat. Um, it's really neat. I got a lot of wild ideas I'd like to build and try. And, and I and love that. I love hearing that. That's freaking badass. And that, that's one of the original things that actually drew me into the rock bouncing side of stuff is, is that's a, a huge, huge op- open platform for the UTVs and stuff. Um, but really, uh, it's kind of odd to say, but like over, over time, I, I learned that really keeping like stock geometry is, is actually not a bad idea. Um, I, I've tried a lot of different setups on, on cars and I even cut cars apart in the middle of the season and changed the geometry in the front ends. Um, I tried different rakes on them. I've tried a lot of, a lot of little things and, and I ended up always kind of rotating back to stock geometry. 
um, just just from the aspect of it seems like it does everything well. You know, um, you can maybe make a car, you know, take a foot, two foot tall ledge better than a stock car, but then you're giving up so much everywhere else. You know, the car doesn't corner right or it doesn't, you know, you're giving up so much in different aspects of it that it tends to, I always end up back with stock geometry on the car. And uh, that tends to just be the best, like work everywhere in every scenario kind of deal. Um, but also like, I, I don't know, I just really enjoy uh, building them. Um, I gusset my cars a lot different than everybody else, um, which is odd to say, because you, you look at gusset kits and like 90% of them are identical from different companies. And uh, I do it a little bit different, you know, not completely, obviously a lot of us have similar ideas, um, but I do a little different on that. And then um, just different stuff, mostly from the rock bouncing world that I brought with me to the ultra four world, just because we only have to make the cars live for a minute and a half, but we're extremely violent on them. Mm -hmm. So I've learned a lot of what doesn't work and what does work doing that. Yeah. And I've never seen, you know, rock bouncing East coast style rock bouncing in person, obviously it's, it's a long road out there. And, uh, but one thing watching the videos on YouTube, I, I watch a lot of that stuff on YouTube. And one thing, every time I'm watching, I'm like, how the hell do those poor axles hold together? Because I feel like they should just be snapping left and right, like twigs, but uh, you guys obviously know what you're doing. So they seem to hold together mostly ish. Yeah. Mo most of the time they do. A lot of it is, is, is the traction on the East coast is so different than what you guys have. So like, like, and that's like when they do the shootout at KOH and stuff, like, you can't you can't use none of the horsepower like that we have in the cars like my hill my hill climbing car is like 310 horse um you know and like we go race hammers and i leave a stock tune in the car i don't even it's all stock there ain't no point in putting big power in it you can do just fine with a with a bone stock tune and a can am and run it um and that's what i did this year i didn't have a tune at all in the car we just uh ran it the way it was, um, stock tune, all that stuff and, and went and it obviously did pretty good. Um, but doing the hill climb stuff, we, we turn them up pretty hard and, uh, the, the traction is just so different. It's hard to explain until you come out here and see it in person. Um, you know, the amount of momentum we have to carry into obstacles versus mm. out of hammers. If you carry that kind of momentum, you're just going to destroy the car. Well, so it's pretty wild. I learned something new every single time I talk to somebody. I just learned something here. It's, it's has to do with the traction. I would have never thought of that in a hundred years because I'm used to, you know, really grippy rocks. So you bounce on it, you're going to you know, bind up and break, but uh, it's all about the traction and that makes complete sense. So I learned something new tonight. Write that down in your diary, man. I did. I, I memorized <laughs> it to be forgotten in an hour. So I think that like you were talking about stock geometry and, and there are certain things that we can get away with changing and there's other things that don't work as well. You know, I spent some time at a couple of uh, UTV dealerships and it always blew me away, man. These, these aftermarket guys, especially in the snowmobile world, they just want to change everything. Like they want to buy a brand new $20,000 sled and they want to change everything. And I always tried to tell some of those customers, like some of those customers are smart enough to do that, right? A lot of them aren't. <laughs> and you tell those guys like, look, man, I, I'm not an engineer, but I know there's a hundred of them that work at Polaris or Can-Am 
and they know what they're doing. I mean, do they miss once in a while? Sure, absolutely. Is the aftermarket a great place for products? Definitely. But something like that, you know, they've engineered that for a reason and and they have a lot more money and R&D in that than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, none of us can leave anything alone, right? (laughs) We always want to change something. I used to love to tell guys, you put a wrap on your snowmobile and you're going to get 10 horsepower. <laughs> and some of them believed you. I don't, I don't care what they say. Well, it's like when you buy new shoes, every time I get a new pair of new shoes, I can run faster. I've never seen you run in my life, man. <laughs> I run to the bathroom every once in a while. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> oh, this, this is the downhill slide. This is what happens when I stay up this late. Well, I'm, I'm really excited, man, to hear you kind of talk about that. You know, a lot of guys think with UTVs that, that we just go out and buy these things and race them. Right. And we've had uh, you on here, Kyle Chaney. Um, we've had some big time UTV racers and that's, that's not the case, man. You guys are building these things. So that's that's prideful like for me to be a part of the utv class and then i wonder my question out of that is is you go from utv to 4400 right you've built your chassis you you know what does what does that transfer over to driving and working on that 4400 car you think is that what helps you or has helped you like be so good right out of the pocket um yeah i think it's definitely a huge uh stepping stone into it um, I think a lot of it, just my background, uh, you know, being able to race junk cars and, and, you know, we race trucks, cars, vans, anything that ran, we drove. So I, I've learned, I can adapt really, really quick to a new vehicle. Um, I can figure out how wide it is and, and start learning really fast from it. Um, you know, and so, so a lot of that does, you know, it does help, but, uh, I think also just growing up the way I grew up, being able to drive everything, um, just it just kind of led me to be able to transfer from vehicle to vehicle um relatively quickly with a lot of ease um it it just comes really easy to me to be able to do it um i I don't i don't know if it does that for everybody or or what but it it seems to come almost naturally to me to be able to switch cars um and that and and the car i got in wasn't no slouch i mean it's definitely (laughs) a a pretty pretty nice car and and it, it definitely takes care of you you know it's it's one of the things, you know, you don't always have to have the most, the best car in the world, but the better car you have, uh, the more it takes care of you and, and hides your mistakes. Mm-hmm. So that, that car definitely does a good job with that. Well, it's, I think you're right. You've got a really great car. Your Can-Am is obviously really fast, but man, I think you're a, you're a pretty talented driver. And like you said, you've got a lot of very varied experience, but man, sometimes like, like we said this about Kyle after we had him on the show, a guy that's fast is a guy that's fast, man. And some of you guys are just freaking fast. Now, keep in mind, you're talking to two pit guys here. <laughs> yep. We don't like to go fast. Mm-hmm. We we get scared easily. But, man, you guys are just freaking fast. And that's however that comes to you. Seat time, practice, natural ability. Like, it's just incredible to watch, I think. Thank you. It it's, takes work. Um, you know, and that, that's what I tell everybody. If you're willing to work at something, you can, you don't have to have it come naturally. If you're willing to work hard enough, you can make it, make it happen. So 
that's that's another thing for anybody like young kids or anybody watching this if you're willing to put the time in and the work and the effort and you know sacrifice time from other things to to do it you can make it happen i, I mean just you gotta be willing to work at it though well that was the big thing that kyle always pushed when he was on was he was just driven focused like i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do whatever it takes to get there and that's uh you know that's a successful racer's mentality for sure and and it's racing right sometimes things break and you got to be able to bounce back forget that and and go to the next race so yeah for sure and and you know that's right you know just a lot of people you know i, I hear a lot of people complain about different things and and a lot of it is just work, you know, do what you can do. You know, you ain't, you don't have all the money in the world or whatever, but just do what you can do. And and the rest of it, it'll fall into place with time, you know, but just take care of the things you can, um, you know, and, and just keep going at it. Uh, you know, and that's one of the cool thing about like ultra four racing is, is, you know, you can relatively take a, a fairly reasonable car and go racing. You ain't got to have crazy big horsepower or nothing, especially in a Can-Am and all that stuff. Like I said, you know, we ran hammers, you know, I built the car myself. Um, you know, I obviously have aftermarket support from people, but you know, I took a stock car. It had stock tune on it. It wasn't turned up real high. didn't have anything special like that done to it. Um, and finished third, you know, I think was pretty respectably. And, you know, so I, I definitely think anybody can do it. Um, if you're willing to work at it. Yeah. And that's, you know, you kind of touched on this too. The other thing we love about ultra four man, you might be competing and fighting for a win or a podium or just a place and points, but man, it's incredible how fast somebody from another team will come over and throw a hand and help out. And that, that to us is what has set ultra four apart from some of these other series that we watch. Yeah, definitely. It's neat how uh, everybody there, they want to beat you in the race. They don't want to beat you because of you know, a jack broke or whatever. They want to beat you purely because they outdrove you or they their car was set up, whatever, however you want to explain it as, they want to beat you on the track, not not in the pit. Yeah, and I think that that is going to be what really carries Ultra 4. You know, that's the, that's the thing that makes it a little bit different to me. Uh, and the fact that we've got, you know, great leadership. You know, we talked about this before, MAO is really taking this and, and pushing it forward. We got to remember Dave is still on that other end with all the other, with his crew pushing King of the Hammers. I mean, I'm real interested to see now that you give Dave a whole year to play in one race, like what kind of crazy shit is he going to come up with? <laughs> it, it'll be interesting. I, I hope they keep a lot of the cool stuff. Like I thought the $10,000 grudge race at the end, I thought that was awesome. Um, I think they can keep that, but elaborate on it. Um, maybe, maybe like start people in two rows instead of single file in a line. You know, that way the guys that finish, you know, in the top, you know, one, two, three spots have a chance at it at least. Um, I don't think they, I think it's a great idea. I don't think they should get a, get rid of that. Um, I think that's awesome. Um, and there's a lot of things just like that. I think they can elaborate on and just drive it farther than it's ever been and uh i really think it's huge you know I, I think it's uh the more cameras they get i'm trying to think how to explain um the more cameras they get in places that nobody sees because yeah. there, there's so much stuff like we come back as racers and we're 
I'm telling my pit crew about, man, me and this guy were battling and we were doing this in the rocks and, you know, we were up on this wall next to him and, and my guy's like, oh yeah, we never seen it, you know, and you're yeah. just trying to explain how cool it was and it just doesn't do it justice until you see it on video and you're like, see, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, that's, so, that's a race that guys like us will never see 90% of that mm-hmm. course, you know. Yeah. And that that's kind of what makes it neat. I'm pretty sure I'd crap my pants if I saw most <laughs> of that, man. Uh, well, shoot, just a, just a few, you know, I, I, I like to go crawling. I have a, a built XJ, you know, I, I think I'm pretty cool. And then I get out there and on the race course during pre-running, just kind of checking stuff out and I'm standing next to stuff. I'm like, holy crap, I'd be scared to go up this in my crawler, let alone during a race. So it is, it is a, uh, terrifying hence why i'm in the pits so it's a safe place it's my safe place that that's pretty and that's kind of wild too i didn't realize how many people i feel like this year there was a lot of uh i guess they're they're trail leaders there's people taking them on the race course Mm. Um, i felt like there was a bunch of that this year Um, when we're out pre-running and I didn't really worry about them being on the course until I realized a lot of them were like going backwards on the course. So like yeah. we'd be coming down outer limits and they're trying to go up outer limits. And it's like, oh boy, this is going to get bad. And, uh, you know, and, and luckily we were able to, you know, go by everybody. But I was like, man, that, that, that almost, there's a couple of times there it would have, it just really made it difficult to, to pre-run the course and do everything, um, you know, and, and I get it. They're out there just trying to check out and see what we're doing and stuff, which, you know, I mean, unless you go out there and see it, you're never going to fully grasp what we're racing on. So. Well, and I've, I've heard that from multiple racers is that was one of the things that was difficult is, you know, like when Zach and I went out to check out the course, we were super timid and super respectful. And we're like, we do not want to be anywhere near these pre-runners, but we'll like take the long way around and stand on this rock where we're not in the way and watch it. Cause I don't want to get hit. We we parked way far away and we walked. We were hiking all over the place. So, but at the same time, I've heard it from you. I've heard it from others. Um, I saw it myself and I'm like, there's just mom and pop from Missouri here just experiencing hammers and they're driving their freaking, you know, stock razor with the big whips and the sound pods up this trail while guys are trying to do pre-running. This seems like a horrible idea. So yeah, that's a, that adds a whole nother aspect of terror to racing that I'm not part of. <laughs> yeah. It, and I, and I get it. They're out there and, and it doesn't bother me so much that they're, they're out there checking the course out. That doesn't bother me. What concerns me is when they're running backwards on the course. Yeah. Like that's what I don't like. Um, you know, I, I mean, if they're running the same direction we are, we normally have more than enough time to shut the car down and get stopped sure. or whatever. But when they're running like at us and we come around a blind corner and, and I know we're pre-running, we're not running race speed, but we're still moving fairly decent, you know, and uh, we'll run into them and, and it's like, oh, wow, okay, you know, and so that, that kind of stuff is what bums me out, it makes me more concerned, I guess, is, you know, when we're doing stuff like that. But when they're running the same direction as us, it doesn't really bother me um, too bad. I, I'm pretty okay with it for the most part. Yeah, and I think that's kind of maybe more isolated even towards just KOH because a lot of these other races we go to, you know, we've got hot course and cold course and 
people know where they're supposed to be and not supposed to be because it's a little bit smaller area. KOH is just so big. But I, I told Hopper this when we were there. If I wanted to recreationally crawl at King of, at, at Hammers and Johnson Valley, that is not the two-week window that I would probably pick to go do that. <laughs> well, you know, not just crawling on the trails with pre-running and all that, but just trying to make it out of Hammertown to get to areas. I'm like, oh boy, this is the set of a Mad Max movie and we're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was mind-boggling, just the sheer amount of people that was there. And yeah, it was cool though. It, it's definitely cool. It's, it's probably one of the, you know, it is, it's the Super Bowl of, of Ultra Four World for sure, but it, it's definitely neat to just go there and, and understand. You have to see it in person to understand what all goes into that. Yeah. It's you go there in November and, and you're looking around like, am I going to leave my truck here? Is it going to be here when I get back? Like mm -hmm. you're more worried about somebody coming and stealing it while you're out riding it. And then you go there during hammers and it's just, it's like a whole city just appears. Um, it's impressive. I don't know how they do all the logistics for it, but it is definitely impressive on all that. And, and like, I, I really, you know, appreciate all the people that come and watch, you know, and, and that's what I'm saying about the trail riders. Like, I don't want to knock the people that are out there and being respectful because they're, mm -hmm. I, I openly welcome them to come and watch because that's what makes our sport, you know, is what it is, is people watching it and willing to participate in it and all that. So, you know, it's not a knock to anybody like that at all. You know, just if you are out there, you know, try to be conscious of where the race course is and stuff and, you know, and that way just nobody gets hurt. Yeah, it was crazy this year how many people were there. I mean, I've been the last three years. Like, you know, at night you crawl up on your motorhome and you look <laughs> around and see the lights. And it's just there were so many there were people camped in areas and directions that haven't in the past. I mean, it was just nuts. And our wives came uh, and got to experience it for the first time. <laughs> and man, they were just like, this is like suicidal out here. And we're all just like, isn't it great? Like, we love this. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's not to knock the regional races either. We really enjoy the regional races too, because there's not a hundred thousand people. There's, you know, a couple hundred and we get to visit and, and make new friends and see old friends at those regional races. You know, those are a lot of fun too. And to be honest, there are a couple of those regional races for spectators that are actually legit races to go to and physically watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, the one out in Oklahoma, Visions and stuff, it, it'll be really good. Uh, Jason's uh, super, super conscious about, you know, keeping it where people can see it and all that stuff. And then uh, and just getting the grasp, uh, the speed of like the 4,400 cars and the Razor and and just how fast we're running in the side-by-sides, the Can-Ams and that. And then also, you know, them big cars are fast. Uh, you know, it's impressive getting behind the wheel of one and realizing you're running triple digits, you know, in a hurry. Yeah. So I can't even imagine. It, they're, they're a whole lot of fun. So it'll be neat. And then uh, moving forward, are you guys going to uh, all the regional races or which races are you guys going to? Well, we're kind of West Coast snobs, not going to lie. Um, with the schedule change, like everybody, we had to work a few things out. Hopper was able to make Moab. Um, we're not sure yet about the California race, uh, which is West race number two, but we are definitely going to be at visions. We know that already. 
Um, and we're really excited to see your race there. And the show, we've been told that the whole week is just a show. So we're yeah. pumped to see that. And then uh, I went last year. I'm forcing Hopper to go this year. We're going to go to the race at Sturgis because that's a, a badass, nothing like it, plus everything else that's going on outside <laughs> of the race. Um, and then I'm we're going to be at Legends, I'm sure, but I'm real interested to see how they top Visions with this new Legends event in October. I've heard rumors, probably some of the same stuff you've heard, and I know how to look at a map, and I'm pretty familiar with that region. And I'm like, I, I don't know how they're going to make some of these things work. Yeah, I I don't know, but they they pull a lot of stuff off. I'll give them that. Um, Jason and them, they can. That's neat what they can pull off. Uh, going to Sturgis, is there anything I've never been up there? Is there anything I need to know? Anything I should actually well, like, take notes on? Do you uh do you have a motorcycle? I do. You should definitely bring your motorcycle. Last year I did not. I still hate myself for not bringing it. Even if you don't ride it, you still get to look at it and be at Sturgis with it, right? I have my my motorcycle is like my girlfriend. But you, you know? also have to understand that Zach's got like a grandpa Harley. Like it's his grandpa out as Harley's come. A geezer, so geezer glider. It's a geezer glider. Like it's hardcore. But we're gonna have the Groms too. Yeah, well, I'm a yeah, the Groms are gonna bring a whole new aspect to bike rally yeah so sturgis is cool because it's like short track we run heats uh you know you're on qualifying you run a main event which is a little different than our normal format and uh we had a lot of fun i was with the utv team there last year and then we watched those 4400 cars run the same course and it was just like holy shit man that's <laughs> it was incredible to watch all the 4,400 cars going bumper to bumper, hitting these jumps, making these turns. And it was fast. It was a, they built a great course. The event was a lot of fun. But then, like I said, you have this whole other sideshow that, you know, think about hammers, but with old dudes on motorcycles, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and you're a part of the Buffalo chip, which is a huge epicenter of you know the sturgis persona we get to go over there one night they got they set it up to where we paraded all the race cars through the buffalo chip and put us in the main stage everybody just revved the shit out of their motors you know it, oh, wow. everything minus you know the cowboys shooting their guns off in the air <laughs> it, it was exactly what i envisioned sturgis to be in my mind that's awesome and it's I'm just excited. And I think, man, it was Vaughn and Lauren were both there. I think Vaughn might have won that race. I can't remember who won the 4,400 race, but it was, again, it was just an exciting race to watch. And uh, I love Sturgis, man. I love South Dakota in general any time of the year, but uh, everybody's super friendly there. They love to have you there. Um, but, That's yeah, awesome. it's fun. That's, I'm looking forward to that one now for sure. And uh, it's that that setup of that race with those heats and the mains, like you do have a lot of downtime because you get pretty restricted practice uh, on the track with all the cars that are there. So it's fun. It's a fun hangout race uh, just to get to know people and hear other people's stories. Uh, and there, there, some people might party a little bit. 
while they're there. I don't know. <laughs> That's now. Do they run? Uh, what's the stock class? Like the the stock Broncos and all that running? Is that uh, like, like the forty six hundred class? Yeah, forty six hundred class. I guess they race them on the short course too. And oh everything. yeah, every everybody just like normal. Um, and last year it was a West race. Uh, this year it's a West race. So you know you got some big West names. Uh, the Campbells were there last year. Obviously, uh, Vaughn and Lauren were there last year, and that that makes it fun. But then you've got there. That was probably one of the bigger stock class races, I think, uh, of the year. And it's fun to watch those guys in those shit boxes just <laughs> hit a short course and hit the jumps like they don't care because they're gonna fix it themselves anyway, right? <laughs> But that's that's what I love about ultra four is that none of the races are the same, right? Like Crandon, we've never been to Crandon. That's kind of on our list. Like they say that Crandon is just unbelievable, like a beautiful facility and incredible race format. So they're all cool. I think. Yeah. I think they all have their unique, uh, different, like you said, it just, you have to drive everywhere. You can't, you can't just be a, a short horse driver or something. You have to be able to drive a little bit of everything. That's the downside, though, is driving to all these races. Like we kind of mentioned that, especially this year. Like, man, you start doing budgeting and looking at what fuel is going to cost and what you're going to. Oh man, what a mess! Like we're we're just a tiny little UTV team, uh, four guys that just want to go out and have fun, and those conversations just aren't fun, man. That's yeah. the that's the boring, lame part of doing this. <laughs> yeah, how are we gonna how are we gonna fund this? You know, where's how am I going to afford? Cause we went to, we filled up at the Moab race in, in Moab. It was six bucks a gallon for diesel. Oh, freaking sad, heartbreaking. But you know what? When you're addicted to something, you'll do whatever <laughs> it takes to feed that addiction, whether it be six gallon, $6 a gallon diesel or <laughs> anything else that we show. Monsters. Monsters. Yeah. It's an addiction. You got to feed it no matter what. That's very true. Very, very true. Uh, looking, you guys run just pickup trucks everywhere or toter homes or? No, we got uh, we got a cl- assortment of random dualies that pull stuff around with random race trailers. So it's, you know, the, the race team itself has a, um, a, a dually that pulls a race trailer. And then we have our various assortments of junk that we cobbled together to make work. It all depends on who wants to go to the race, right? Like the four of us all, all go to the race, but are we taking wives at, at hammers? Wives flew in a little easier. Are we taking kids? Where are we going? You know, what kind of atmosphere is it going to be that? So every race for us, it seems like it's totally different, mm. which means we have to have this conversation like, every race what are we going to take who's taking what i i propose that i would take a tent to oklahoma and just sleep in my tent because it would be the cheapest way and the other guys were like you are you not want to do that no don't don't do that you'll you'll sweat to death it's hot at night even there um yeah that's what i'm i'm in the same boat right now i'm looking so i, I took a, a dually to hammers and a little 36 foot trailer um, out there and and now i'm trying to figure out i used to have a school bus i drove around in the school bus forever oh, man <laughs> i actually drove it out to hammers the first year so i drove it all the way to california uh and and camped out there i actually took my wife and my daughter with me or future wife i guess i should say 
with me out there and, and my daughter and we hung out and stuff. And, um, the bus is, I think had enough. I've drove it around for about four years and it's about wore out. So at least wore out for taking on a, a 30 hour trip or something. <laughs> That's a little too far. Well, right now I've got uh, like a, I've got my dually and I've got the 36 foot gooseneck and I put a, a camper, a uh, truck, truck camper. camper with a slide out over the gooseneck right in the front of it. And then I can put my crawler in the back and it's working great. But as my, cause I can convert the dinette into a bed for my girls, but as my girls get older, they're getting longer and the dinette's not going to be <laughs> adequate. So next couple years, I'm going to have to figure out, uh, which route I'm going. And you know what? School bus has popped up in that conversation several times. So it's, a, in my opinion, a viable option. Hey, it, they work good. I had good luck out of it. I just with the 4,400 car, it's just too much to pull. Yeah. I'm worried about the weight of the trailer I pull with it. And yep. I don't think it'll like the amount of stuff I'm pulling. The UTV, we took two or three UTVs all over the country and it, no problem. But the 4,400 car, I think it's going to overdo it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, like I said, it depends on where we're going. And man, you look at these guys with these toters or these super C's, I mean, beautiful rigs, but right now, dude, I, I'm not even talking about the price of diesel, just the price of the unit. I mean, I follow these guys on Facebook. I'm in those groups, like, Holy cow, the price, like I said, sleeping in a tent seems like a pretty viable financially <laughs> responsible option. Yeah, until you get treated for heat stroke every night in the ER, that's going to get expensive <laughs> real fast. I wonder if a guy could put a window air conditioner in a tent. <laughs> yeah, we've done that. Yes. <laughs> well, man, uh, it was great having you on. I mean, dude, for for guys that have never met before, and like we just kind of hit you up earlier this week, like this is a really fun like hour hour and a half. And uh, man, I'm super pumped. Just like I keep referring to Kyle Cheney, man, because he's like the he's a racer. And and this conversation was like that. You did a great job of telling us, man, this is why I do this. And this is this is where I want to go. And this is how I'm going to do it. And that motivates guys like us. Right. I know a lot of people that listen to this are just normal guys. And we love to get people in here that are successful. And they don't have crazy stories, man. You didn't win the lottery. No one gave you anything oh. like you, you earned this, you built this. Um, so it's great to be able to get you on here. It's also great to get to see you winning races and succeeding, man. I will have to disagree with one point. He did win the lottery of life. And that is he grew up in a scrapyard. Like <laughs> touche. You don't like, you don't even understand me and my, like I, the, the, the local town code enforcement officer he stops by at least once a week and he comments on my collection of scrap steel that I have in my driveway. He's like, he's like, do I need to write you a ticket? I'm like, no, sir, you do not. I can move that and hide it better because that's, that's my dream is like scrap steel just everywhere. As far as the eye can see, like you're living the dream. Literally. You, you do like at some point in time though, the downfall to it is, is eventually you start looking at everything as, as junk that you need to get rid of so you don't keep all the stuff that you used to keep uh, you know when we first started doing it we kept everything that was yeah. the hoarders and then eventually you're like okay i can't keep it no more it's gotta go well he's a hoarder he'll never <laughs> ever get rid of anything <laughs> and sometimes that's handy i'm not it gonna is. knock you but it's i i 
I can't handle it. When, man. when your closest steel yard is literally a two hour drive away, it oh, a lot of people come and visit my driveway. I will say that. I do <laughs> move, I do move product. Okay. <laughs> well, like I said, man, we really want to thank you for coming on. Uh, we're, you know, I look at you as like a UTV guy. I'm super pumped to see you have success in the other classes. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what you do the rest of the year, man. It sounds like you're going to have a lot of races and a lot of seat time. And I think that's going to be awesome to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I appreciate you guys having me on here. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Well, man, that was another great episode this week, man. Yeah, it was. We didn't hardly complain at all in this episode. We, we must have been having good weeks. I mean, I felt like I had a crummy week, but obviously it wasn't as crummy as I thought it was. Yeah. Got to give another big shout out to our birthday boy, Robert Taylor. Happy birthday. Belated birthday, Robert. You know, maybe uh, we'll see you at a couple races here in the future, guys. But keep listening. We got some more great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch everybody next week. See you later. You've been listening to The Pit Guys. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. We'll see you at the races.